Can I just tell you, I'm super excited to be with you this morning, like super excited. I'm going to try and not get emotional because I love you guys so much. But I've been suffering for Jesus this summer, <laughs> suffering for Jesus. Um, I was looking forward to this sermon and not looking forward to it, looking forward to it because I love getting the opportunity to share with you guys, not looking forward to it because it means my summer's half over. I know, we're there already, it's crazy. And... I'm suffering for Jesus because at the beginning of summer kicked off, my family and I had to pack up. We had to go for that long hour drive out to Kettleston. And we had to stay out there for three weeks, if you can believe it. And, like, let me tell you, the accommodations out there are just horrendous. They had us on this hillside, okay, in this, like, rickety cabin that overlooks this beautiful, beautiful lake, and we could see the sunshine coming up every morning, and in this, like, we had, there was only two bedrooms, so I had to share a room with one other kid, which wasn't all that much fun, and it, get, go get this, when it, in the middle of the night when I had to use the washroom, I had to walk six feet to get to the bathroom. Let me tell you, suffering for the Lord out of Kettleston Camp. I'm being a little bit humorous. Obviously, we had a fantastic time. Uh, and then following three weeks at camp, I spent uh, a week kind of solo in Eston uh, with a program called Street Invaders. They run a boot camp. And I got to be out there and help them. And uh, so literally for the last four weeks, I've been doing two services uh, a day, uh, one in the morning, one in the evening. And uh, it's been awesome. I feel, I feel pumped up. I feel full of glory. I'm excited to be here. But it's not Hillcrest. It's not Hillcrest. It's not like being here uh, with you folks. So thank you for this morning. It's been good. Anyways, here we go. I'm going to do my best to keep us on, on track, but as you know, um, I'm a bit of a talker. I'm going to do my best to keep it reined in. Uh, I feel like there's lots to make our way through, um, but it's going to be good. It's going to be good, I promise you. Um, we're in a series. If you're just new here, we're in a series called Flipped. Um, and it's all about this idea that Jesus changes everything. We've been hanging out in the Sermon on the Mount and going through Jesus' teachings um, and seeing how he really does change everything. And now I love, I actually love the title of it. And in my mind, when I think flip, my mind goes to Jesus in the temple clearing out the tax collectors, flipping a table. Like sometimes there's just, like that's just what you feel like doing some days is just walking in and flipping a table. So when I think flipped, that's what I think. But we're not talking about that this morning. We're talking about other things. And we've covered a lot of ground already. Uh, we've talked about how Jesus changes our pursuit of happiness. We've talked about how Jesus changes our identity. He changes our relationship with God. Jesus changes our anger. These are all teachings that come straight out of the Sermon, of Mount, Sermon on the Mount in Ma Matthew chapter 5 and 6. Um, Jesus changes our lust or what we long for, what we're looking for. He changes our marital dissatisfaction. He changes our word. He changes our desire for revenge. He changes our ability to love, our ability to give, our ability to pray. And today, we're looking at our longings, how Jesus changes our longings. Now, to kind of define what I'm getting at in terms of talking about longings, I did, I did some wrestling with this a little bit this week, thinking it through. Because I find I long for lots of stuff. Like, I am, a, I am a vast pool of longing. Everything from um, muscle cars 
to uh, hamburgers, to good friends, to uh, an Xbox One, like the list goes on and on. That if I entertain this notion of what is it, Chris, that you long for, I long for things like that. I mean, there's other things too. You know, I do long for world peace. I do uh, long for children that behave. Uh, I do long for a wife that can read my mind and things like that. You know, we, we all have these things, these notions that we, that, we, that we long for. And the crazy thing about longing, have you ever noticed how it really, it really seems like it's never satisfied? Our ability to long for and to want things, we always are left wanting more. I got thinking about this and I was like, man, in, in my mind, like our culture doesn't do us any favors because we live in a culture that's saturated with advertisements and things that are, are gearing towards making us want things and long for things. I'm giving a look at the mic guy. We'll give it a, maybe I'll, I'll just relax a little bit more. It's my cheeks are slapping the mic. Anyways. We long for things. And I got thinking about how, isn't, isn't it crazy how really products that are advertising on TV or on billboards, if you think about it, they're not actually wanting to pitch you on their product, are they? Like, it's not really about the best rake that's out there for raking leaves, right? It's not really about the most nourishing, healthy meal that you could eat. It's not actually pitching their product. If you watch advertisements, you realize that they're actually selling you on something else. They're selling you on discontentment. They're actually not necessarily totally interested in convincing you that their product is the best, because Lord knows lots of this stuff, like, it's garbage after weeks, right? The stuff that, like, we live in a culture that's just a throwaway society. That stuff isn't built for longevity. So they're wanting to sell you on dissatisfaction. Because the truth is, they've discovered that if the human soul is sold on discontentment and dissatisfaction, there's nothing they won't pay, there's nothing they'll, they won't do to try and satisfy that level of dissatisfaction or discontentment that's in them. And so that's why, that's why you know, all the cars, it's like... Open desert road and a cool car and the wind blowing and like this peaceful, serene moment where you go like, my life is nothing like that. <laughs> you know, I got markers on the ceiling of my minivan and fingerprints pushed and like chaos. Like you can't even have a conversation because there's four kids all, you know, and it's nuts. And you go, if I could just buy a Subaru, I'm, I'd be, I'll, I'll have it arrived, right? And they're geared towards that. And I got thinking about this, and I was thinking, you know what? And maybe I'm being a little bit dramatic here, but I really think that it goes back to the beginning of time when God first created Adam and Eve. Do you remember? In the garden, things are perfect. Sin hasn't entered the world at all. They're there, and in slithers a serpent. And what does he introduce them to this notion? He questions, he gets them to question God's intentions towards them. And he creates in them a perceived sense of dissatisfaction. They weren't missing out. God wasn't withholding anything from them. And yet that sly, slippery serpent introduced them that there's more available to you. And that God's holding out. 
And I feel like forever since that day, the human race has been cursed with this longing for more, this need for more that is just unable to be satisfied by anything found here on earth. Can you relate with me? Can you relate with this this reality of longing, this idea of um, being dissatisfied and discontent and wanting to have that met? I'm I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can. I'm I have, um, and it's, it's getting harder and harder. Um, where am I going with this? I want you to be able to relate with me, so I can't move on until you can. So I just got the idea of, okay, so if you're here and you're a teenager, um, it's much harder for you to um, pay attention to any single giving longer or desire that you would have. Uh, we live in such a world that loves to be distracted. We're always moving. There's always interruptions, things leading us to the next thing. Even the very way that our phones, and I don't have my phone, which there's that weird feeling. Um, the way that our phones are set up to bing and cause us to want to notice, um, we're being pulled in so many different directions that it's, it's much harder to focus on any one thing for a long period of time. I think about uh, when I grew up in high school and I was a teenager, I had two sports. There was like baseball in the summertime that I could play or there was volleyball in school that I could play. And that was pretty much it. The rest of the time, I didn't really have to decide what to do. I talk to kids now, like, oh my goodness, like kids, like it's a full-time job in all the sports that they're involved in. You know, you're, you're going to be an all-star baseball player, you're going to play basketball, you want to be on the badminton team. And I encounter this so much working with students that their schedules are packed. And I don't think that that's a bad thing for kids to be busy and to be athletic and getting exercise and competing in that thing. But what happens with all of a sudden when you decide you have to make a choice where you're like, I want to be the world's greatest basketball player, but I also want to be the world's greatest baseball player. Or I want to be the next best volleyball player, but Eventually, these longings end up competing for your time and your attention. And really, you're probably only able to, if you're lucky, you're able to satisfy one of those things. We're still, we're pulled in so many different directions. I think of if you're, if you're here and you're a single person. I'd left my single days um, behind. It's going to be eight years married. Nine. So nine. When I, so in a few days here, it'll be nine years since I met Jenna. And knew her and left my single days behind for good. But I remember what it was like being single. And I wouldn't want to go back to those days. I'm telling you. I would not want to go back to those days. One, because I don't think I would be as lucky and as fortunate as I ended up with with a girl like Jenna. But the other reason is, is that you're pulled in so many different directions in terms of how to meet someone or how to connect with people. And you just can resonate with this desire that you want you're longing for someone to share your life with or longing for something. Um, one of the other ways that uh, dissatisfaction and discontentment shows up most in my life is with my home. And the longing for, uh, when we moved into this house, it was a character home. It's the only character home in Moose Jaw that was sold without any character at all. Um, 
It was built in 1914. And right from day one, that first week, like I'd already written down my plans of like renos, things to change, where to move doorways, how to make it look neat. And I have this, this longing to see this house come to its full potential. And my wife shares in the same longing, just not as much in the, in the working of pulling it off, actually. But if I'm honest with you, my longing for home improvements is really just a cover-up. It's a cover-up. Because I know that if I say I'm going to do a project, I know that I'm going to have to tool up to do that project. And if I can tell you something, there's a big old hole in my heart. It's the shape of some tool that I have yet to find. But I am shopping home hardware, and I am shopping Canadian Tire, looking for that tool. And it's one of the reasons I love doing home, home renovations, right? You get to go out, and you get to find another tool. And you think, man, if I just have the right tool for the right job, I put them together, it's going to be amazing, and I'll have what I'm after. But do you know what? Even after I buy that tool, and I use it the one time I need it, and it sits in my basement for the rest of its life without getting used, I'm still not satisfied. There's always another tool to buy it's actually so bad, and I'm, I hope you guys don't mind. I'm, I'm just being really honest with you this morning. So I'm kind of divulging some stuff about my life that is, is a little embarrassing. My need for blue jeans sold on sale is so insatiable that at one time in my life, I actually had, and I still have it, I had to sign a physical contract with my buddy Clark that said I would not buy a pair of blue jeans for a full 365 days. And now, hear me, I'm not, I'm not the most, I am not a fashionable person, but I don't know what it is. If I can find a pair of jeans for less than 20 bucks, I can't say no. I'm like, and I'm like, I need, like, I need these. And it's crazy, like, I will be trying these things on. And I'm like, ah, uh, I could probably lose a little bit of weight. Like, 10 bucks is a great deal. If I just, you know, I don't work out, I don't run. There's no way I'm losing the weight, but I'm trying to justify this. Or I'm like, I could put on weight. These things are a little big. They make belts for these things, no problem. Like, this isn't going to be a problem. Or, and... I'm ashamed to say this happened in the last six months. I was trying on a pair of pants. They were a 33 by 38, okay? And I'm like, I could rock the four-inch cuff roll up at the bottom. I'm sure I could. Humorous, but it's true. It gets at this notion that we have longings, we have needs of things, desires, that we will stop at nothing to, to get or to talk ourselves into or justify. Again, I... I have a Kindle, and so I have this like Kindle online library, read digital books, and I also get an email, a daily email. It's actually a bit of a nightmare, actually. This thing haunts me. It's a daily email that gives you all like the, the latest Christian book or Christian books that are on sale that you can buy for like super cheap. And I'm like always spending money on this thing, and sometimes they're free. So now I've made a promise that I'm only going to download the free ones. Because, and the truth is, it's not even that they sit in my library here at Hillcrest and collect dust. They don't even get that. They're out in the virtual world somewhere. And it doesn't really matter because I'm not going to read them anyways. But there's this need, this hunger for more that I'm trying to fill by that. I hope you're with me. I hope you can relate with with some of these things that I'm talking about. The truth is, is that dissatisfaction and discontentment are powerful longings that move us and drive us to action. 
And there are good and bad pursuits to fulfilling these longings. Aren't you kind of glad that God wants to help us? God wants to help us navigate the reality of these longings and these things that are, are, are asking for priority in our life. And so if you would be so kind, could you turn to Matthew uh, chapter 6 in your Bibles? And we're going to be looking at verses uh, 16 to uh, 24 uh, over the next few moments here. Now, uh, I kind of broke this passage of Scripture uh, up into four chunks, and each one sort of deals with a sort of different nature of a longing that I think all of us as humans can kind of relate with. And again, I want to respect the reality that this, this section is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so literarily, it's, it's written as one big piece. But, but there's so many great kind of um, quintessential teachings or summaries of teachings in it that, that often we love to just kind of pick and pull them out and, and kind of read them as part of that. But it, but it is important that we recognize that, that, that these verses are actually part of a greater, greater whole. And I'll, time permitting, I'll, I'll get to that a little bit, a little bit later. But, so our first one here um, is addressing one of the most basic, basic uh, longings. And that's a longing for food. Our hunger for food, our longing for food, because it's talking about fasting, okay? And just before I read it, I just want to point out that, that uh, literarily, this is actually tied with the verses that came before it. So about two weeks ago, we heard a message from Doug Sigoko on giving, and in that, it talks about these acts of righteousness, doing these acts of righteousness, but they were doing them for men rather than for God. And Doug, Doug taught us on that, but there's... There's a little note in there that shows up in giving, and it shows up, Miss Laura taught, uh, Laura Blackman taught on prayer last week. It showed up there as well, and then it shows up again in fasting. And here we, here we go. So let's read this together. So Matthew 6, um, 16 to uh, 18, it looks like. And we're looking at it. It's kind of appealing to this longing of hunger. So it says, uh, Jesus is saying, speaking, he says, when you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Now that phrase I had talked that kind of ties these groups together is this nature of that there's a reward. A reward. If you give, there's a reward, but not if you're approved by people, only if you do it as though before God. And so it kind of ties these concepts together. Now, if I'm honest, this, this chunk really isn't about food at all. Um, fasting... Um, but it's actually about the praises of people, right? Jesus' criticism here is that um, you're fasting, but you're not actually fasting for what it's meant for. You're actually fasting to try and get, you know, affirmation from people. And you go, well, Jesus, how can you tell? Like, like oh, I mean, Jesus would be the only one who could accurately judge the motives of someone's heart, but how can you tell? And he's saying, well, I can tell because they're putting on these 
you know, sad looking faces and moping to show the world how, you know, they, they're, they're almost gaunt without food because they're sacrificing so much for the sake of God. And yet Jesus is saying, you're a hypocrite. You're not doing it at all for God. You're doing it so that people will affirm you. And this irritated Jesus to no end. That's something that's intended to be a very personal communication and uh, a way of connecting with God, this idea of fasting. Uh, they're using it and manipulating it um, to receive praises from people. Fasting uh, was to be a spiritual discipline for devoting oneself to communication for God, with God. But they had twisted it to be about winning approval or honor from others. It became a status thing. As with prayer and so with giving, they turned fasting into a way of receiving accolades from people. The neat thing about this passage, or one of the, one of the interesting things, is it says they've received their reward in full. That should kind of cause us to stop and take notice. He's saying that this empty act... And the acknowledgement from people is all that they get. God actually honors nothing about what they've set out to do. It, re it renders a reward from God uh, kind of useless or non-existent. I had it pitched to me as doing some reading over the summer. And uh, I had somebody pitch it this way. This is a very real reality in the world that we live in today with social media. And... Uh, this gentleman describes this situation. Imagine sensing a call from God to go and build an orphanage. And so you would get uh, sponsors together and you'd go all about this super quietly. Um, you'd get sponsors together. God would lay a place on your heart. Uh, you would uh, fly down, say, to Brazil. Uh, you would hike mountains through terrain, uh, hauling bricks upon your back. You'd get there, and you work uh, for months with the local people there, and you create uh, this amazing uh, orphanage to serve children that don't have a home. That's pretty cool. And just as you're getting ready to leave, you stop, you pull out your cell phone, from your back pocket, you turn it around, you smile into it with the orphanage in the back, you click a picture, and you post that to your Facebook account for the world to see. And just like that, the reward you had coming to you is gone. I often think about that. I've this notion of like those quintessential great places to spend your time doing devotions. And for me, uh, the common was awesome in town. I'm so sad that place closed down. But I'd love to go there and sit and read scripture with a uh, flat white and just spend an hour with the Lord. Love doing that. And there's always this sort of like temptation to go, this is so such an amazing moment. I want to share it with the world. And so pull out the cell phone and snap a selfie and post it. And yet... If we're honest, the hidden motive behind much of what we post to social media is for the approval of other people, is for likes. And Jesus' words here stand in stark contrast to say, whatever you do for the approval of people, sorry, whatever good there was in that, you've already got it. And it's, it's meant to have us sit up and take notice of the seriousness of this. 
But thank the Lord he goes on. He says, no, 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 no. When you fast, when you want my approval, you go about this the right way. You wash your face. You, 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 don't, you don't look to try and publicize it before people. And then he offers this promise, which is deeply encouraging. He says, uh, when your father, who is unseen by the way, when he sees what you've done in secret, he will reward you. Isn't that neat? That this God we serve sees what we do in secret. Now that kind of cuts both ways. Jesus' stuff always has a way of kind of flipping it. On the one hand, that's really good that we should be you know, honoring God and in serving him in secret in a way that only he sees, not looking for human approval. And that's good, that's noble, that's worthy. But on the other hand, that kind of cuts both ways in the sense that, there's lots of stuff that happens in secret in my life that I wouldn't want anybody, and especially God, not to know about. So it creates this tension of like this God who sees what's in secret, that he wants to change our longings from the longing of approval by people to solidifying that God it's only your approval that we're looking for it's you we want to please um the second longing here as we move on is a longing for treasure and it kind of makes sense that in, the, in those, uh, when he was talking about giving, he's talking about prayer, and he's promising, if you do it in secret, you'll receive a reward. If you do it in secret, you'll receive a reward. And then again with fasting, if you do it in secret, you'll reward, receive a reward. It kind of gets you wondering, what are these rewards? Right? Like, he's, pro- God, he's promising that God will reward you, so what are these rewards? And I can't help but thinking, like, is it a way that God wants to give us money and treasure and material possessions and, and things, and it's just a matter that as long as we go about it rightly, like as long as we serve God with an integrity and a character of heart, then he's going to reward us with material things? Is that what he's talking about? And interestingly enough, Jesus jumps right in um, to address that in verse 19. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in to steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the key. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus loves to compare and contrast things. And here we see him comparing the treasure that exists on earth in its temporary state you know, if you're after clothing, it's all nice until moths get in there. You know, how many farmers, I think, have you know, lost crops in terms of in bins with bugs getting in it or, or just before harvest, some, you know, a vermin getting in and destroying. Uh, I cleaned out bins one time that had raccoons in it for a long time. Super disgusting. Not much to treasure about what was left in that bin. But Jesus is contrasting that as he says, rather than seeking for things of earth which is temporary and doesn't last and you don't get to take with you, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Because the reality of thinking about heaven and storing up treasures in heaven is that they can't be lost, they can't be stolen, they can't be destroyed, and they last forever. And Jesus has a way of creating these these comparison and contrast that make you go, okay, well, when you put it that way, yeah, what, what is all the stuff I could gain here on earth 
compared to what I can store up in eternity. And it begins to get you thinking about heaven, about storing things up. And this principle about where your treasure is, there your heart is. It says something about our longings and our treasures uh, is that what we long for most has a way of ruling us. Our longings lie at the very core of our heart, the very center. And if we're only ever longing for treasures on earth, more stuff, a bigger house, a faster boat, a nicer car, or uh, a salary that has another zero at the end of it, or a decimal place that moves a few times, it has a way of controlling us. Have you ever noticed that longing for stuff never really actually ever satisfies? Jesus said this elsewhere in Matthew in chapter 16. He says, then he said this to his disciples. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Which is a death sentence. For whoever wants their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And he says this. He says, what good is it? What good would it be for someone to gain the entire world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward, again, reward each person according to what they have done. So Jesus says it doesn't matter if you are fortunate enough to raise to power and end up ruling the entire earth. If you lose your soul, of what value is that to you in eternity? It's nothing. Jesus has a way of cutting to the heart of the issue and bringing about a sense of severity about the way that we live our lives and about the longings that we choose to indulge. Jesus flips the notion of collecting stuff here on earth that is temporary and won't last to work for and to labor for treasure that will last forever. What's worth more of your time? Working for something that will last as long as you possess it? Or working and laboring towards something that's going to last forever in the kingdom of God? One longing, our longing for stuff, is never satisfied. But our longing for heavenly treasures? Hmm. It has a way of motivating us in a right direction, in a direction God wants us to head with our whole hearts. We've talked about food, we've talked about treasure. Uh, moving on to our third one here, our three out of four, is a longing for knowledge and understanding. And with this, it's these verses, verses 22 in, in Matthew 6. It says, the eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. As people, we long to know and understand. My two-year-old son, Matthew, it's already evident in him that he, he wants to understand, especially how things come apart. He's just like his dad. He's not too, not too concerned about whether they can go back together. He just likes to see them come apart. 
And I love seeing, watching little kids as they, as they kind of learn and experiment and, and seek to understand stuff. It's, it's so neat to watch their little minds work. That they're just on this pursuit of wanting to gain understanding. If you think about it, we all love developing even our sense of opinions about certain stuff. Right? Where we have things that are kind of like our go-to, like uh, things that we use or uh, home products or the way that we live or, or things like that that we have, we've developed and we've cultivated our opinions about them. And they've shaped us and they form who we are. And often we're very happy to share our opinions about stuff. Um, and again, social media is rich with this kind of an environment where, you know, you just... I like flowers, and man, you could have, there could be a three-hour debate about how flowers aren't worth liking because, you know, trees are much better or something, right? Where it just gets ridiculous. But we all have our opinions. We're prone to our opinions. So in these verses, it's kind of interesting because the eye, if you think of it, the eye is the light, is, is a light to the body. So it's sort of like as light comes into your eye, it's reflecting down into your body. And so if your eyes are good, everything inside your self-body will be full of light and it will be good. But he raises this notion, what about, if you're, what about if your eyes are unhealthy? So he's talking about what if your perception or your perspective are skewed? What happens then? And now I think the best way, I'm, I'm not much of a sunglasses guy, but... Um, I'm sure many of you are on these awesome, nice, hot summer days. Think about, think about a pair of sunglasses. Now, think about a pair of sunglasses. I hear it's all the rave are these blue tint sunglasses, okay? If you take and you put on blue tinted sunglasses on, absolutely everything you perceive, everything you're looking at becomes colored, doesn't it? Everything is influenced. You still see colors, but everything is influenced by the color blue. Go figure. It works if they're shaded red. It's amazing how consistent this is. But when you're wearing those lenses and they're blue and you look at a white piece of paper with blue ink on it, actually what ends up happening is that you can't really see the blue. It hides it. So the blue glasses actually creates a little bit of a blind spot in regards to seeing and perceiving color. Now, where I'm going with this illustration is, is if we've got opinions or things that we're grounded in and firm on and think are right, and we're standing on them, we have a way of perceiving the rest of our life kind of through those strong opinions and those strong understandings. So in a, in a sense, if, you know, um, whether anything from political beliefs to views about uh, scripture or just strong opinions in any way, they have a way of coloring the whole rest of our world. And we see everything through that lens of understanding. But it creates a blind spot in us. And Jesus is challenging us that if your perception is wrong, if your perspective is off, we're in trouble. Because it doesn't matter what I show you. It doesn't matter what I tell you. I could be telling you it's it's red, and you're saying, no, it looks a different color because your perspective is off. It's clouded. Our spiritual vision is easily, easily clouded with self-giving longings. Where we long for 
desires, self-interested desires, self-interests, and self-focused goals. And they actually cloud the rest of our judgment. Jesus flips it. He says, rather than an unhealthy, clouded vision and understanding, he desires for us eyes unlensed, unfiltered, unclouded, fixed on Jesus so that we can understand correctly and that we can see correctly. And in these verses, he's challenging his hearers to be aware of that. That sometimes our longing for understanding and our longing for knowledge, we can grab a hold of that. And if it isn't, if it isn't rightly placed, it can be as a distraction or cloud our judgment. The fourth one here, our longing, is uh, a longing for alignment. And this is found in verses 24, uh, verse 24. And here it is. Jesus says, No one, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And if you think about this, this would be a really difficult task. If you all of a sudden went into work tomorrow and you had two bosses. Now, if they were on the same page and giving you the same instruction about what was expected of you, that wouldn't be a problem. But as the nature would have it, if you had two bosses who were telling you two different things, there would, you would experience a conflict. Um, I, remember, I remember being on a job site um, and... There was the boss who called all the shots but wasn't on site a whole lot. Then there was the site supervisor who was the guy who was on the grounds all the time and was the boss when the boss wasn't around. And I remember working in a situation doing something and had had a meeting with the upper boss and he had said, this is how I want you to do it. You need to do it like this. And so I was doing it like this on site, and I got, uh, it was something to do with uh, HVAC and furnace install. And then the site supervisor came up and was looking over my shoulder and said, what are you doing? We don't want that like that. You need to do this, 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 like this way. And it was in total opposite of what I had heard from the boss. And so I was like, ah, well, I'd like to do it. That, I, like, I'm okay with doing it that way, but just so you know, like I've heard from this guy that, that I, I was supposed to do it this way. And he said, don't worry about what that guy said. You do it my way. And it was the most awkward position to be in, to do it right this way, knowing I'm pleasing the site super, but knowing that when I bump into the boss, the boss boss again, <laughs> that's going to be awkward. Right? We can't work. We can't serve two bosses. We're going to end up loving and listening to one and hating and despising the other Don't hear me wrong. Longings are not bad. Food, even people's approval, stuff, physical things of earth, understanding and knowledge, this is all good stuff. They're, they're, they're okay desires. There's, there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with them. But God doesn't want you to be a slave to your longings. He doesn't want you to be ruled by them. They're bad masters, never satisfied, 
always wanting more. Jesus wants to be at the center of your heart. He's the only one that can fulfill that spot in your heart. He's the only one worthy to be Lord of your life. He is the reward. What lasts longer than treasure? What's more meaningful than food? What's better than any understanding that we've ever had or, or reward for these things? It's, it's God. And he wants to give himself to us. Um, I was doing some reading and uh, I was going down this track, but it's always nice when you read something by, from John Piper and he agrees with you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I totally agree with him. But I had these questions about, in these verses, it's talking so much about the reward and about the treasure. And I really wanted to un understand what is that actually? Like, what is the reward that he's promising? The stuff in heaven. And I was kind of like, because it doesn't necessarily seem to be, to, be, to be flushed out. And I go, I know the right answer is God himself. I know that him is the reward, is the right answer. But I was looking for a little bit more. And interestingly enough, uh, John Piper, he, he points back to the Lord's Prayer, which was taught on right before this bit about fasting. And he says, if you look at what Jesus prays, that there's a clue to what the reward is. And the reward is this. He comes to God and he says, God, hallowed be your name. Praised be your name. And he says, may your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth just like it is in heaven. And all of a sudden, it makes that connection between where God, the reason God wants you to have your longings in check is because your longings aren't worth, they're not good masters. They're not worthy to be lords of your life because they'll always leave you astray, always leave you wanting more. And yet when you give that place to Jesus, when you surrender your heart to God and say, God, uh, I know I've got things kind of messed up on the inside. I know I'm pulled in a lot of different directions. But this one thing I'm going to make emphatically clear is that you are my Lord and there is no other. All of a sudden, God goes, this I can work with. And you know what he begins to do? It's the greatest vision for our life is that he takes our longings and he begins to mold them after his own. Where all of a sudden, rather than being so desperate for the approval of people, that the more time that we spend in God's presence, we begin to desire his approval. And care less about what the, what the world says or what our friends are saying. We, we have eyes to please God and God alone. And all of a sudden, our desire for stuff, our desire for treasure, nowhere does Jesus ever say this is, it's evil to own stuff or to have a good paying job. But if we spend time with God, you know what happens? All of a sudden, he begins to change our desires where all of a sudden, it's not about the stuff we have, but we're wondering how this stuff can glorify God and his kingdom. How this stuff can benefit other people aside from just myself. And there's this amazing transformation. And when we submit ourselves to God and we say, God, there's a host of information and a host of knowledge out there in this world. Um, help me to understand it correctly and not be led away from you. He wants to give you clear understanding with unlensed, unfiltered eyes to see him clearly. And you know what begins to happen? He said all of a sudden in our hearts we find ourselves praying just as Jesus did.
saying, God, hallowed be your name. You are great. You are the richest reward I could ever long for. And we begin to desire his kingdom. Not after we die. Not after we're dead and gone and buried and there's a tombstone marking where our bodies lie. But now, we begin to long for his kingdom now. In this here and now. And we begin to care more about what his will is. At this time, I'm going to just invite the worship team to come on back. And we're going to close just with a song. And I'm going to encourage you to... uh, I think I hear them. Are they coming? Excellent. Um, We're going to just close with a song of response. But here's here's what I want to encourage you to do. Perhaps you're here and as you've been listening, there's been stuff happening in your heart where the Holy Spirit's been stirring and bringing some stuff to your attention where you realize and recognize that there's some misplaced intentions or some misplaced longings. You have an opportunity this morning to just simply turn your, turn your eyes toward Jesus and give that over to him. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, God takes a, a, a longing that we have in our heart and coaches us on how that is something that can glorify him. It just needs to not rule our lives. Or maybe you're here and you realize that you've been torn apart in many different directions for a long, long time. Having no single longing to actually guide your life or direct your purpose. God wants you to know that he's the only one worthy to hold that place in your life. And he wants to give you a longing for him. That is only satisfied, that is only contented when you find yourself in his presence. And so I want to invite you that if that's, if that's you and you've never made that step to make Christ the Lord of your life, following the worship song, I'm going to be sticking around up at the front and I would love to have an opportunity to chat with you and to pray with you, okay? And other than that, we'll turn it over to Kurt and you can dismiss.